Lord God Almighty, our Heavenly Father, it is with great joy that we may seek your face as your people in prayer, knowing that our Lord Jesus intercedes for us in your presence. We want to give you thanks for the rich blessings you have poured out so abundantly on us over these past days. And thank you, Lord, for your enduring love. And may we all find our strength in the Lord Jesus alone. And tonight we look forward to hearing from our brother Jack speak to us about his work as our ministry development coach. Father, we want to give you thanks for his diligent work in our churches and for the fruit that it has produced over his years of service to your church. As his time of service in the role of ministry development coordinator now will soon draw to a close, we pray, O oh Lord, that his successor may be found and so that the valuable work of his role will continue to bear much fruit for you among us. Thank you, for, Father, for the work that is done in your name. So will you grant your blessing on each of us this night. For yours alone is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The question is often asked of me by family and friends, uh, what has impressed you about Australia? Um, what have been the highlights of your years that you've been down under? And well, I can truly say that the past uh, 14 and a half years uh, have left really an impression on me and have um, there been many highlights. And in many ways, um, it's for that reason, my wife and I find it very difficult to even think about leaving this country and leaving you. So what do I tell my family and friends on the other side of the pond? Well, I could tell them about the unlimited beauty of this great Southland. For example, this past year, uh, my wife and I spent some time in Tasmania. I can tell them, for example, about the wonderful beauty of the Cataract Gorge here in Launceston, or the power of St. Columba Falls that you can just find a couple hours east of here. Or at sunset, when you go down to the Bay of Fires and you just see the incredible palette of colors that appears on the rocks or the natural beauty of Wineglass Bay a bit further down the East Coast. I mean, I could say all of that and I, I still haven't told them about Port Arthur and Cradle Mountain and Solomon's Caves and Montezuma Falls and, and that's just Tasmania and that's just a little bit of Tasmania that my wife and I were able to travel through and see. So what would I say to people when they ask me about my impression of Australia? What have been the highlights of my time among you here? Well, to be your fair dinkum, just to let you know that I've been here for a while, I know a bit of your lingo. I would tell my family and friends about the joy that I have just working among you and among the churches, the gospel partnership that I have with you here in the CRCA. I would echo the words of the Apostle Paul that is, he writes to the Colossians and he says, all over the world, I see this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood grace, God's grace in all its truth. Just as it has been doing among you. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ bearing fruit and growing 
throughout Australia and beyond. For I dare say this is exactly what I have seen and what I continue to see as I partner with you as a denomination and the various classes, the local churches, the pastors and other church leaders, and also the work that I do alongside with the RTC. The gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing. But isn't this exactly what we ought to see among followers of Jesus? I mean, Jesus himself said, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I mean, that's just what disciples do. They bear fruit. That's what the Christian life is all about. That's how we show ourselves to be followers of Jesus, his disciples. Now, the image that Jesus gives us here is this beautiful image of this basket is that's just overflowing with fruit. I mean, not just the virtues of the godly life, but new converts, people coming to the faith, disciples being made. I mean, that's clear from the context, isn't it? Where Jesus instructs his disciples, his spirit-filled disciples, that they must testify about him. And when this happens, we see gospel growth. I mean, as Luke himself tells us that you know, when we go about doing that, when we are his witnesses, when we testify about Jesus, we do that. We do that in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We just keep doing that. And we see the gospel bearing fruit and growing. I mean, when I came to Australia um, more than 15 years ago, I came here to be interviewed by the committee. I mean, I was emboldened by the mission of the CRCA. I mean, that we are all about being a church that is reforming to reach the lost for Christ. I mean, that got me. You know, when I started hearing that that is what you wanted to see happening here in Australia, I said, I got to be part of that because my heart was there. And that's how we define ourselves as a denomination. That's what we're all about. That's our mission, making disciples, bearing fruit. And when we do this, we show ourselves to be followers of Jesus. And we bring glory to God. And for all these years, that's exactly what I've been up to. I've been partnering with you in this mission. This mission of reaching the world with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. To see Bible-based churches multiply. Churches that equip and nurture their members and they grow. They grow throughout Australia and the world. Now that has been my commitment as I have partnered with you. Because that's the commitment of ministry formation. That's my commitment in my role as a ministry development coach. First of all, ministry training coordinator. And now I'm back to coordinating again. But to help us realize together this goal of seeing the gospel bearing fruit and growing throughout our land, in and through the local church, and then beyond that, into the world. But tonight I have to make a humble admission. You know, any fruit bearing and any gospel growth is really not so much about what we have done. It's not even what I've done. But it is all about what our Lord Jesus Christ 
has done through us. When Jesus describes this life of his followers as one as bearing fruit, he reminds us that apart from Jesus, apart from him, we can do nothing. <laughs> now that to me is humbling. Apart from him, we cannot do anything. I mean, we cannot bear one fruit. We cannot see one lost soul come to Christ. We cannot see one of our children or grandchildren claim the promises of their baptism. We cannot see one church planted unless we remain in Jesus. Because apart from Jesus, we cannot do anything. And for me, I find that extremely humbling. Because if anyone knows me, I, I, I like to do things and I like to make things happen. But I know I can't do that. Because if we see churches bearing fruit and growing throughout Australia and the world, if we see church members use their gifts for works of service so that the body of Christ is built up, if we see disciples being made and the number of well-trained leaders being multiplied, if we see churches planting churches, I mean, that should move us as individuals and as church leaders and as churches ourselves and as a denomination, as it moves me to give glory to Jesus. Because he's the one that's building the church. And I wonder sometimes if you think enough about that, because I don't. I sometimes think it's what we have to do. <laughs> but he's doing it. He said he would. And we see that in so many passages in the Bible. I mean, for example, Paul speaks about the supremacy of Christ. How Christ is supreme in all things when he writes to the church in Colossae. This is what he says. Jesus is the head of the body of the church. All things have been created through him and for him. And in him, all things hold together. And you just get those words. All things, all things, all things. In other words, if good things are happening in a church, there we see evidence of Jesus' creative work. In Jesus, all things hold together. We can try to hold it all together. But Jesus does that. Not just some things, but all things. Everything. And again, for example, as Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, God has appointed him, that is Jesus, to be head over everything, again, head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I mean, those are just massive words. And, and I trust you've, you've resonated, if you've heard these words on Sundays, or you've studied these words in preparation to preach these words. I mean... Everything, in every way. In other words, if we see people in churches bearing fruit and growing, we're seeing the fullness of Christ, which Jesus is filling everything in every way. Everything in every way. Well, consider for a moment, you know, the work that we do as pastors, as elders, as church members, and collectively as churches. I always think about that in terms of the work that I do among you here in Australia. I mean, you might plant a seed. 
The seed of the gospel, we just talked about that. You know, God fills up, and what do we do? We plant the seed, and we stop singing. And another person might add some water, but it is God and God alone who makes things grow. <laughs> Listen to what Paul says. He says, for this reason, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I don't know how many times over the last, you know, 15 years, I've thought about that over and over and over again, because neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. <laughs> so if we see growth happening, because God is doing it. We're nothing, and Jesus is everything. And my friends, that's what Jesus has been up to in and through our churches. Jesus' mission is to fill everything in every way with his fullness. Our people, our families, our churches, our neighborhood, our country, our world. And it has been my utmost privilege to see but that is exactly what Jesus has been doing. He's been filling us with his fullness. He's been filling our churches. And Jesus is going to keep doing that until that day when, G when God will be all in all. Well, that's humbling for me when I think about that. When we take the seed of the gospel and plant it in the hearts of the lost, when we nurture it in the hearts of our churches, when we live it out in the heart of our communities, the kingdom of God expands and expands among us. The presence of Christ begins to permeate everything like a mustard seed, ever so small, but it's placed in soil and it becomes this massive tree. Or like yeast, ever so small, and you plunk it in a hunk of dough. And it begins to expand and expand and expand. And that's the work of God. The church of our Lord Jesus Christ is like this. In the words of the sons of Korah, the church will go from strength to strength, strength to strength, until we appear before God in Zion, the new Jerusalem. Ever increasing gospel impact in and through our churches. And my friends, that's what I see when I serve the churches here in the CRCA. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is bearing fruit, and it's growing. You know, when I first started working among you, I noticed there was a lot of resistance to the denominational mission, vision, and especially the strategy as it is expressed in the fourfold task. I recall one of, my, one of our churches calling me up one time and they said, we'd, we'd love you to come and talk to our church camp and be our main speaker for the weekend. But when you come, uh, don't come and talk to us about the missional vision of the CRCA. Don't talk to us about church planting. Don't talk to us about anything to do with the fourfold task. And that church wasn't alone. In fact, when I would visit classes and even at Synod, on the floor of Synod, you'd hear this resistance. It was real. It was palpable. But I knew, I knew in my heart that at the heart of this church, it's all about 
you and I going about being the church that is all about bearing fruit and growing. So in my role among you, I, I started to think strategically about that. I thought, how, how, could I, how could I figure this out? How could I measure gospel movement, you know, here in this denomination? I mean, perhaps I could give an estimated guess. I mean, I talk to pastors, I visit churches, I go to classes meetings, and I could just sort of go home and I think, well, how would I rate them? But I know at best that would just be a subjective guess. I thought to myself what I would do, I would, I would go around and, and I would check the NCD scores, you know, and just check out the surveys. But back in those days, we only had about a handful of churches, not even a handful of churches that were actually participating in doing NCD surveys. So it was here that I found the work of Abraham Maslow quite helpful. Abraham Maslow, he describes the movement of change in four different stages. He says, you know, uh, where change starts, it begins with unconscious incompetence. You know, it's when people don't know that they have a problem and they, as a result, don't do anything about it. But then people come to that point where they realize they've got a problem. So they move from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. In other words, they realize that they have a problem, but they still don't know what to do about it. And then people, they move to the point where they realize that they have a problem and <laughs> they move to conscious incompetence, conscious competence. In other words, they realize they've had a problem, but, and they also really begin to think about, I, I know what I can do about it. And then the final stage is where they move to unconscious competence. People know what to do and they just do it naturally. So as I speak to committees and I speak to churches, I often like to describe this, these four changes of stages of change by telling people about Johnny. I mean, when Johnny was born, um, he was not born walking. <laughs> In fact, he didn't even know that walking was an option. He just laid there and waited for the next feed. But, you know, in 10 to 12 months, uh, Johnny looks around and he realizes that there's a bunch of people that they're walking on two feet, two legs. And he looks at his legs and he thinks, you know, can these things walk? He knows he can do it, <laughs> but he doesn't know how to do it. And several months later, Johnny begins to walk on his two legs. He's a bit wobbly, a bit unsteady, but he's helped by his parents and they take him by the hand and they walk and walk and he learns. But it takes a lot of effort because Johnny has to think about every step that he has to take. But today, Johnny, you know, he doesn't just walk. He runs and he hardly gives it a thought. He can even kick a ball and he doesn't topple over. It just comes to him quite naturally. You know, over the years, I have seen a dramatic shift among our churches and church leaders. When I think back, um, you know, 14 and a half years ago, the vast majority of our churches were in stage one. They didn't know they had a problem. And as a result, when it came to engaging ministry formation, 
the fourfold task, the missional vision, there wasn't a whole lot of buy-in. But slowly and steadily, I've seen a shift. More and more churches started just to call me up and say, Jack, you know, we've got this issue and you think you can help us? They started to realize that they could walk <laughs> and they wanted someone to come alongside them to hold their hand and teach them how to walk. The initiatives of the fourfold task started to make some sense because they looked around in other churches within our denomination and perhaps in Australia and started to realize, you know, that some of these people are walking on two feet. Maybe we can as well. And that shift still continues to this day. And today that we find the vast majority of our churches in stage three. They know they need to do something. And it's, it's such a delight for me. It's such a delight for me that these churches are actually doing it. They're doing it. They're taking some steps. Like Johnny, they're walking and making progress. And some are even running and kicking some goals. And it's such a delight for me to see that as I work along inside the churches. Now, remember that church that I mentioned earlier? That church that initially resisted anything to do with the CRCA missional vision and fourfold task? Well, for several years now, this same church has been on a journey of missional engagement. Many times over the last number of years, I mean, they've reached out to me and they asked me, can you help me? And each time I would join their hands and mine and we'd learn to walk. To take some initial steps. And over the years, they've, initial, they've uh, developed church health strategies. They did that seven years ago and today they're doing it again. Changes are being implemented in their practices of church life and worship and discipleship. Leaders are being equipped for ministry. They've embraced organic outreach as a strategy that they would implement within their church so that they could grow and reach out to the lost people and reach them naturally with the gospel. They've been challenging young men to consider vocational gospel ministry. In my last visit at that church, they said, well, we have two, but perhaps a third will eventually take up the mantle of ordained ministry in the CRCA journey has not always been easy for this church just like it's not easy for johnny to learn to walk some falls along the way but there's gospel movement and that church is pressing forward and and i see that and i see christ and his fullness filling that church more and more and more and this church is not alone i mean all across our denomination and that's the real privilege that I have. And I, I don't want to understate that because it, it's so massive for me. Because I see it time and time again, all across our denomination. We're seeing churches taking steps toward increasing church health, church revitalization, discipleship, outreach, considering church planting, and raising up gospel workers. Take, for example, the whole area of uh, increasing church health. Ever since we've been promoting the NCD Church Health Survey, we've seen a continued increase in the overall average scores of our churches. And that's encouraging to me. And that's especially encouraging to me because the majority of those churches, they are just doing their first or second or third NCD survey. 
I think of one church that did a survey in 2009. Their church health score was just 13 out of 100. 13 out of 100. But this church started to take some steps. They wanted to increase their church health. And they've, over the years, they've kept working on that since 2009. And over the years, I've worked with them. And I've just seen their scores grow. Initially from 13, a huge leap to 47, to 53, to 61. Now, you might think, well, that's just a bunch of numbers. Yeah, but you know what? Those increased church health scores translate to, into a church that was in rapid decline and now is in a rapid growth, growing at about 9% per year. A church that was losing members, but now is a church that is seeing lost people saved by the scores. And today, it's not just a handful of churches that are doing the NCD survey. I mean, 29 of our churches have done these surveys with a total of 97 surveys that I've done with churches in the past 14 years. And to me, that's remarkable. See churches taking that up and wanting to look at themselves and think about what can we do to perhaps learn to walk and maybe even run and maybe even kick some goals. It's also been a real promising uptake of the NCLS survey this time. In 2011, when I started promoting this, we had less than five churches participate in that. 2016, we had 17 churches. Just this past survey, we had 37 churches participate. Possibly 38. An ever-increasing engagement with church health strategies. And I look at that, and I see... Christ, filling his church with an ever-increasing fullness of his presence. But you know, it's not only in the area of church health that we see churches bearing fruit and growing. One thing that I've noticed over the years, and I see that especially over the last five years in our denomination, is that discipleship initiatives are becoming normative in so many of our churches. So many of our churches, churches that are engaging the way material, and we've got to be so grateful to the RTC for allowing this resource to be permeating our churches. There's so many churches thinking about discipleship issues, but it's not just the way. Seeing the Vine Project or the Discipleship Matrix or one-to-one -one Bible reading or a combination of these. See, a growing number of our churches are employing staff today because they want to see outreach start to be embedded in the church. And so they partner with Josh Hartog and with Organic Outreach, and they're promoting outreach so that we could just naturally share the faith with unbelievers. At a recent classes meeting that I attended, I was, I was actually gobsmacked. Because one of the things I love doing is just hearing the reports of the churches. And as I listen to the reports go around, every single church, without one exception, shared about how they had seen conversion growth. Every single church in that class. It was such a long time since I've heard that. The gospel is growing, bearing fruit. In the past... Um, 
You know, when I look back, I, I realize that so few of our pastors and church leaders were being engaged in leadership development, being mentored and coached by others. But over the years, I've seen as we's trying to promote leadership development, and more recently, since last Senate, promoting the shift initiatives, at the last count, you know, around 75% of our pastors are meeting regularly with a coach, a ministry peer, or are receiving professional counseling or coaching through Oilstone, Reach Australia, Geneva Push, our Presbyterian brothers at the City to City Australia, I mean, the Australian Coaching Collective or the like. One of the things I've noticed is that there's, a, there's such an increase of, of our people attending regional conferences, not only by pastors, but by other church leaders. And, and that's constantly in the I remember going to the first Geneva Push Conference. We had 30 people there. I was the only person from the CRCA. We had 29 other people there. Now go to Reach Australia Conference, which is Geneva Push was a precursor to that, the Multiply Conference. And I go there and I just see pews filled with our members, scores and scores of our pastors and their leaders attending these conferences. And that's just Reach Australia. And, and maybe you don't realize this, but just think about it. I mean, when you think about Geneva Push, <laughs> that church planting network did not exist 12 years ago. Neither did Reach Australia, Oilstone Coaching, the City to City Network here in Australia, Vine Growers, the Vine Project, the Way Program, the multiple pathways for ministry training at the RTC, and then there's just so many more. I mean, we're living in a day where there is just a plethora of opportunities here in Australia for churches to receive coaching, training, nurturing, encouragement in the work of the gospel that wasn't there 12, 15 years ago. The culture here in Australia and in our churches is changing, not just in the CRCA, but throughout Australia. The gospel is bearing fruit and is growing. And we see all of this that is happening and we look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of all things, and we recognize that Jesus is building his church. That he's filling everything in every way with his fullness. And all this fruit bearing and growth is to the glory of God, our Heavenly Father. So as we look ahead um, to the next triennium and beyond, what do we hope to see? What do I hope to see? What is my dream for the CRCA? What is our dream for the CRCA? Well, what's next? We hope to see a continued focus on discipleship rather than membership. To grow our church is deep, not just wide. It's easy to fill up pews with people because we've got a great product. Most of our churches have great musicians. They can attract a crowd, but that's not what we're in the business for. We're, we're not just to get a bunch of members. We're not to fill up our churches with our pews full of people. There's a real danger 
as we see in mainstream Christianity, simply to fill our pews with people, to increase our membership. What we hope to see is a growing commitment as church leaders and churches to grow people as disciples of Jesus, to grow deep, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has taught us, because that's what you do with disciples. You don't just baptize them and sit them in a pew. Teach them everything that Jesus taught us, and then as disciples, they disciple others. Hope to see a focus on discipleship rather than just membership. In addition, we hope to see a compassion for the lost rather than complacency when it comes to evangelism outreach. To see conversion growth, not just transfer growth. I mean, the fields around us are white for the harvest, and, and we, we here in Australia, we got to be blind if we don't see it. Because all around us, we have millions and millions and millions of people that are on a destiny toward hell. And the harvest field is ripe. So many opportunities to reach the lost with the good news of Jesus. And the opportunities are many and they're various. And there's a real danger for us as churches and denomination, as a denomination as well, just to give lip service to evangelism, to outreach. Say, that's what we do. Yeah, we believe it. But are we doing it? Are we driven with a passion for the lost? I always think of that image of Jesus as he, as he looked across Jerusalem and as he wept over Jerusalem. See sheep without a shepherd. What we hope to see is hundreds, if not thousands, thousands of our unsaved neighbors and friends migrants and other Australians be enfolded into our churches. We also hope to see uh, a surplus of gospel workers rather than a shortage of ministers to serve our churches. To seize the opportunities that we can expand our ministries and plant new churches. I mean, today we have a shortage when we have around 25% of our churches without a pastor. <laughs> can you imagine the day, perhaps 10 years from now, and we'll have a glut of gospel workers. We'll have more than we need. Where every vacant position in our churches is filled. Where churches don't have to appeal to another denomination so that perhaps they could have a pastor that would grow their church and leave the CRCA. Where gospel workers are equipped. They're ready to plant new churches. Can you imagine that? I can. I can. I mean, this might seem like a pipe dream. But is it? Is this not the vision that is given to us in Scripture? The vision of churches bearing fruit and growing? Just this past month, just this past month, I met with some leaders of one of our smallest churches. I like the church in Philadelphia, and I often tell them that. I said, you know, the one that's mentioned in Revelation 3, it's a church of little strength. Time, at times, you know, go to that church, and on a Sunday, they have less than 20 people in attendance. 
that this is a church that is a praying church. We take prayer seriously. Done some development work them, and one of the one of their main core values that they have is prayer. They knew that over the last 25 years, they had not seen one true convert in their church. And so as a church, they covenanted together to pray a very bold prayer, knowing that they haven't seen one convert in the last two and a half decades. They asked God, can you please give us one? And in 20, 2022, a Hindu man walked off the street into their building and was embraced with the love that is found in that church. And members of that church started to disciple this Hindu man. And he put his confidence now in the Lord Jesus Christ and is numbered among the followers of Jesus and is a growing disciple within that church today. He calls that church his home. <laughs> this very same church, just two weeks ago, gave me three names of men that they're working with who are planning to train for gospel ministry. Three men. So I asked them, how in the world can that be? <laughs> I mean, you're just a church of little strength. I mean, you have no pastor. And yet you say there is a potential in this church for three gospel workers. How can that be? And their reply was simply this. You asked us to pray, and we did. And the testimony rings true. The one who calls us is faithful. He will do it. He will do it. Jesus will build his church. So as we move into the future of the CRCA, the future that God has planned for us, for Australia and for the world, I want to encourage you with three words. The first is literally just one word. It's the word Ubuntu. It comes from the continent of Africa. Africans tend to lead by thinking of their community, valuing the group over the individual. And that's often referred to in Zulu with the word Ubuntu. And there's no single word in the English language that adequately sums up the word Ubuntu. Just like I knew growing up in a, in a Dutch family that there is no one English word that, you know, can translate the word gazella. But the word Ubuntu literally means a person is a person through others. This word emphasizes the importance of community, teamwork, mutual respect, and making decisions by working together. You know, Ubuntu is, um, is, a, is in real contrast to what we see in the West and also in Western Christianity. And I dare say there's also a danger of that here in the CRCA. We're a small denomination in a large country over many states separated by great distances. And yes, once in a while we get together for classes meetings and once in a while we get together when we can for synodical gatherings. But then we go back to the local church and that's where our focus is. But let us not forget that we are better together than we are alone. We need each other. We need each other as other churches in the CRCA. 
We need each other, you know, in classes as we come together. We, we, we need to realize that we are our brother's keeper and we need to be there for one another. We need each other as Christians from various denominations. And we heard a little bit of, about that from our Presbyterian brothers and sisters. I mean, there's a real temptation and there's also a real tendency to do ministry and, and to serve our committees and to function as church leaders as individuals. But let us remember Ubuntu. I've learned the value of that from my youngest granddaughter. She celebrated her fifth birthday last week. As we often do with our grandkids, we just send them some money in the mail. They go buy something for you. It's cheaper than us, you know, sending something across from here to Canada. And what does little Zuri do? <laughs> I call her Bella because that's the French for Zuri. means beautiful, and she is beautiful. Her mom is white, Dutch, <laughs> tall. Her dad is black, <laughs> is midnight, <laughs> and um, tall. She's got the best of both. She's not dark chocolate. <laughs> you know, she's milk chocolate. She's beautiful. But what does she do with that money that we gave her? She goes off to the store and she buys herself something. And she buys something also for her brother and her sister because it's my birthday and we do this together. Ubuntu. Let us do our work as a denomination across the various platforms and all the platforms. Let's do it as a team with mutual respect and concern for one another. Let's not be so concerned about our small areas of turf. Instead, let us emphasize the importance of community, the value of the group over the individual parts. That's what I've learned as I've worked among you that a person is a person through others. Can't be it alone. The second word also comes from Africa rather than just one word. It's a proverb. It comes from the birthplace of my son-in-law. In the Congo, they have a proverb that says, prepare now for the solutions of tomorrow. I mean, if we're going to raise up 40 gospel workers in the next 10 years, we don't wait for 2030 to begin to do something or to begin thinking about it. We do something today. We leave here today and, 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 and we do something about it. We prepare now to have those conversations with our young people, with our university students, or as our brother said, those in tertiary education. Just, just to be able to have that conversation with people. I love having conversations with young people and young adults and just say, what are you doing with life? Like my pastor one day tapped me on the shoulder and said, Jack, what are you going to do? And I said, I love to become an architect because I like designing things. He says, what about you become a preacher and you can help build a church? <laughs> and that's been my life passion for the last 40 years or more. If we're going to reach the lost for Christ, we don't wait for them to walk in through the front door of our church. That was the philosophy 
when I came to my last church. We don't do evangelism. We just wait for them to walk in the front door. And then they're not welcome here because they're not believers yet, so they can't worship, so they don't belong here. Took 13 years to turn that around. But we prepare our people today, now, to share their faith with others. We prepare our churches now to receive the people that God will send our way, and he will send them, like that Hindu man walking, because he saw a church there that was open on a Sunday morning. And we need to prepare our churches today to receive the people that God will send our way. And, and I have seen that over and over and over and over again, that if churches will do something today to prepare their people to receive those that God will send them, then God will send them to the people, their neighbors, their friends, their workmates, their classmates, their boss, their employee, and bring them to church. We nurture, we equip, we pray, we prepare our people today. If we're going to create healthy churches, we don't wait to get a health check or implement some healthy choices. We don't just wait to do that. We, we get that health check today. <laughs> you know, we prepare our churches now by engaging in strategies that are going to promote health so that over time, we will not just crawl, <laughs> but we will stand on two feet and we'll be in walking and running and leaping and having that vitality in our churches. We prepare now for the solutions of tomorrow. We do it today while it is still today, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. And finally, there's a word from David. In 2007, when we literally rose on the wings of the dawn and settled on the far side of the sea, making our way from Los Angeles to Brisbane, my other son-in-law, his name's Mike, he gave me a simple word from the Lord, penned by David of old. The words of Psalm 139, 9 and 10. He said, Dad, think about this. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. You know, I, throughout the years, I've personally applied these verses to the uncertain future that we have as we landed in Australia and as we began our work among you. And as I would go about my life and my ministry down under, and, I, and as I would take up my task to, to work with the churches here and to partner with you in the gospel, I reminded myself time and time again that even there God's hand would guide me, his right hand, even our Lord Jesus Christ would hold me fast. No worry, mate. God has it covered. And that's the real David I want to talk about. David and his wife are a couple who we began witnessing to and word indeed about seven years ago. At first, David was very resistant to the gospel. And he would flatly say out to us, especially his wife, I hope you're not trying to make us a Christian. Well, we just loved them. We prayed for them every night sowed seeds of the gospel, continue to testify to them about Jesus, and today they make Oasis Church, the CRCA church in Queensland that we're part of, their church home. 
You're linked to the growth group that my wife and I had for about eight years, nine years. We left that to start up another growth group and they're still attached to the previous growth group. About three weeks ago, I, I got a call from Dave. I don't get a lot of people that call me. I know I call a lot of people, but I don't have a lot of people. I have two people here in Australia who regularly call me. One of them is David. Three weeks ago, he called me up. He said, Jack, how are you doing? I said, David, I'm, I'm having it tough. I said, I don't know what we're going to be doing come the end of 2022. A question about our life. What is it going to look like post-employment? <laughs> I mean, do we move back to Canada and reconnect with our family and try to settle in a different community? I, I mean, no place feels like home. I don't know what we're going to do. Or, or do we just stay here in Australia? There's, there's, there's some ministry that we're doing as a hobby, and, and maybe we could do that together. And I don't know what we're going to do and what ministry will look like. And, and I'm just really worried about that. And I, I, I sometimes can't sleep I, as I think about that. And, and as David listened to me, he said, can I ask you something? I said, yeah, David. He said, didn't God guide you in the past? <laughs> he did, didn't he? Don't worry, mate, about the future. God has it all covered. That was his paraphrase of King David's words. And David was right. God has it covered. Isn't that wonderful? That one you could talk to Jesus about now talks to you about Jesus. And let me just say to you, he has you covered. I mean, we make a lot of decisions here and we think about, you know, our missional vision. We think about the fourfold task. We think about churches that need to be planted. And we think about policies that need to be implemented. And we think about all the leaders that we need to raise. And we think about that as leaders, as churches, as a denomination. But my friends, as we take up God's mission and vision for our churches to bear fruit and to grow throughout Australia and the world, he will guide us. Jesus will hold us fast. Why? Because it's his work. And we are privileged to do this work together with him. And my friends, I have been so, so privileged to have been able to do this work with you. And in all of that, God is glorified. privilege of working very closely with Jack for a couple of years after I took up the convener role um, in 2018 for a couple of years and so I was I guess one of the people who would call you I was I mean in a, in a different capacity of course yeah. um, during that time Jack became not just a colleague um, he was already a colleague but I, I count him a friend uh, we'd talk and pray not just about ministry concerns and uh, ministry formation initiatives but about our family lives and our personal uh, uh, challenges and uh, sometimes our frustrations and our history and background. Um, he'd share with me his stories of trying to share the gospel with neighbours and, and, um, and trying to minister to blokes like David um, and, uh, and not just neighbours. He'd want to share the gospel with strangers and old friends and family members 
Um, and I think I can say this every single time from the moment Jack would answer my phone call, the warmth and the love and the delight in the gospel began to flow down the phone line. It was always a highlight um, in my week. Uh, and I, I wonder if his influence has been the very same over your lives, brothers and, and sisters in this room, those who have had the privilege of being in contact with Jack uh, in a professional capacity, uh, his warmth, his love for the gospel, uh, his infectious delight in Jesus and his work, um, his effervescent personality, his optimism, uh, but his love for the Lord Jesus and his thirst to see Christians and to see churches and to see our whole movement thrive in the Lord. Uh, he didn't back away from tough conversations um, or difficult topics. Uh, Jack is a bloke who has leaned in to those things over time again and again, uh, leaned in to those churches that, uh, or leaders or individuals who are perhaps a little resistant or not on the same page, rather than leaning away and just going with the ones who were, were like-minded, Jack asked the question, no, how can I help you? What can I contribute? And uh, we're the richer for it. I always left our conversations inspired and feeling nurtured and with a, um, with a smile on my face. Uh, which you couldn't see, of course, because it was a phone call. Thanks, brother. Uh, now, Jack's been thinking about this next phase of life and ministry for quite some time. He's shared that with, with me as it's evolved, uh, and I've admired the way that he has resisted, doggedly resisted calling it retirement, because he has no intention or desire of, uh, to retire from the things of the Lord. Ahead lies another season of life, uh, a new setting to serve his Lord and Saviour as long as God gives him breath to do so. Um, Jack, we're going to miss you. Uh, we're going to miss you and, and Jeannie um, in the years to come. Uh, we wish you well in your new endeavours, whatever and wherever they may take you. Uh, and I'd like to pray for you now. So may I lead us in prayer. Our great God and our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your servant, Jack, along with Jeannie. We thank you for the years that you have given us together with him in ministry in the CRCA. We thank you for the ministries and initiatives that Jack has shaped, even in small ways. We thank you for the lives that you have granted that he's been able to contribute to uh, through coaching and mentoring and training, but even in his friendships and especially in his evangelism. We thank you uh, for your grace to him. We thank you for your spirit's work in him and that you aren't done with him yet. You continue to shape him. You continue to make him more like our beloved Lord Jesus. Would you please carry that work on in him wherever you take him next? Father, we pray now for a few things. We pray for a wonderful, fruitful, faithful um, final stretch to Jack's ministry in the CRCA, may he finish strong in your strength, achieving more than even he hopes or intends or plans to get done before the end of the year. Also, Father, would you grant Jack and Jeannie clarity and calm and growing enthusiasm for what you have in store for them in the next phase of life. We pray that in whatever context you place them, that you'd use them as wonderful heralds of the gospel of Jesus in word and accompanied by deeds. May their heart's desire to reach and serve new people be realised, people beyond church, the unchurched and de-churched, those who struggle and need to find the message of healing and hope in the gospel. Would you grant them that desire? Would you please 
do that for the glory of Jesus. And Father, we pray as well that you would provide Jack and Jeannie also with their heart's desire in terms of grow, a growing and evolving and increasingly close ministry to their own family members, especially their children and grandchildren. We thank you for the joys of family life that we've just had a little glimpse of and the privileges uh, that you have provided to them in even in recent years to play a role of spiritual significance in their family life even at such an extraordinary distance and even through this recent season of COVID with the impediments to travel Lord may Jack and Jeannie now come into a wonderful season of blessed family ministry by your provision not only for their joy but for the good of those they love so much and for the growth of your kingdom the world over in Jesus' name, we ask that. But finally, Father, just turning to ourselves for a moment, we have had Jack working amongst us for these years. He's seen change, and for that, we are very thankful. We pray that his work, and more importantly, your work, would continue to bear fruit, that you would grant more growth among and through us. Would you provide for us, please, just the right successor to Jack in the MDC role? Would you grant that Jesus be glorified among us and through us to the world for Christ's sake? Amen.